Welcome to the Retail Insider Video Interview Series. I'm your host, Craig Patterson, and we're joined here with a special guest, Alan Anderson. You're a master jeweler, if we can call you that, I think. Uh, you've got a wonderful mm -hmm. line called, uh, by your own name, Alan Anderson, and you've just opened an atelier. Uh, really interesting showroom. I got to attend the opening in Toronto. Uh, welcome, Alan. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. How did you get into the jewelry business? Can you give us a little bit of history here? Well, it, it's one of those crazy roundabout patterns when you, in your life. Um, I would guess I would, it, it all started my love of jewelry. Um, I come from a very eccentric British family and uh, I had a couple of aunts that were quite over the top. We used to, as kids and as, as growing up, we would travel a lot between Canada and England. So I spent a lot of time back and forth. And my mother's oldest sister, Auntie Marie, was very flamboyant and very dressy and used to wear a lot of jewelry. She was lifelong friends with Norman Hartnell, the design queen's clothes. And uh, so she was very flamboyant and over the top. And she used to wear like this massive, big emerald and diamond ring that she used to take off and let me play with as a kid. And of course, that's probably why I love emeralds. And there's always a lot of green in my life. And uh, I've always loved jewelry. I've always... Like I said, my mother wore it, my aunts wore it. I played with it as a kid. And over the years in my career, I was in the visual industry for years with, you know, a wonderful company now defunct called BB Bargoons that was iconic. And then I worked for many years at the Hudson's Bay Queen Street in their flagship store as a visual technician. And in the, the, the background, while I was working and having a full-time career, um, I met somebody who became a lifelong friend via fundraising uh, in New York called Robert Sorrell, who was quite iconic and did all of Terry Mugler's runway jewelry for Paris. And he literally on a whim, I went with him to a wholesaler and bought rhinestones and settings and chain with no idea what to do with it. And came back from that trip and taught myself at my kitchen table uh, 25 years ago to welder and weld and solder and literally just played, made a few things, gave things to people and got it out there. And it's always, I think a lot of it in fashion is luck. Um, somebody, a friend of mine wore a brooch on her coat into Holt Renfrew one day in the winter and the buyers and the vice president were on the floor and they stopped her and asked her where she got the brooch. And they told her, told them that I was Toronto based. They got in touch with me and that would be God, this is over 20 years ago, uh, over a holiday season, I brought in a small collection on consignment and I used to, I'd work my, my weekly job. And then on weekends I'd scrub up and put on a jacket and a bow tie and go up to Holt Renfrew and stand behind the counter and sell my jewelry. And we sold out the collection over a holiday period and they brought my collection in full time. And so I, over that time period, I was still working, but doing shows on the weekend and then I had other breaks. Um, there used to be a company in Palm Beach called House of Levon that was quite big in the jewelry industry then. And they carried my jewelry. And because of them, I got into Henry Bendel's in New York. And it all grew really by osmosis and very organically. And so 18 years ago, I had an opportunity to show at Toronto Fashion Week. And I needed time off to do it. And at the time, my my manager couldn't get me or wouldn't approve the time off. So 
I quit. <laughs> I quit a job of 14 years and did the fashion week and uh, literally at the end of the event sold off my inventory and it paid my rent for three months. And that's how my business started. And then over the years, it's grown. Um, you know, we, we've ended up selling across the world in small boutiques, um, had celebrities wear us on red carpets, and it all started in my kitchen here in Toronto. And, you know, here we are, you know, 25 years later, and I have this beautiful Italia that we work out of and do shows in, and my creative space is in here, and it's just kind of magical. And I, I'm following my own aesthetic, as you know, big and bold jewelry. And uh, it, that's basically how I got into this. Can you tell us more about the jewelry? I think it's kind of costume jewelry. You've got uh, large, um, uh, you know, jewels within them. Tell us about that. Sure. Let me just grab a piece, which makes it even easier. Yeah. Excellent. Sort of all behind everywhere in here. So this is this is a perfect example of something I'm working on for the next collection. So um, I weld and solder the actual metal pieces. This is all vintage Swarovski. And then these are machine-made pearls made out of the Philippines, but it's all hand-set. Um, I build every piece. Every piece is one of a kind. Every piece is signed, and I never duplicate. So it really is couture-quality costume jewelry. And it's big and bold, and that's my mantra. I don't believe in being a minimalist. <laughs> I'm definitely not a minimalist. It's, it's all large, intricate statement jewelry. That's really my genre. Is maximalist a term that people use instead of minimalist? Um, I use it all the time because I will say <laughs> I don't, I'm not beige and I don't live in a beige world and I don't believe in minimal. So I, I really am the opposite to minimal. So I'm a maximalist. <laughs> what, what's the general price point on jewelry, depending on say earrings or, or necklace and whatnot? Um, we go anywhere from $395 to $4,800 and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the price so, point is a lot less than what you'd be paying, say, if you were going to, I don't know, a Burks or something and getting those real stones, oh, that could be, well, millions, right? Well, you know, if you went into Mickey Moto in New York and wanted a five-strand cultured pearl with a diamond and aquamarine clasp like this, you'd be paying like about three and a half million dollars. <laughs> so, you know, this is this is why, you know, beautiful couture costume jewelry is something you'll have for your lifetime. It's an investment purchase. Um, and it's something that if you look after it, you'll hand it down to somebody else. And I will say it's not just evening jewelry. It's meant to be worn every day. Wear it casually with a T-shirt and jeans. Wear it out to dinner with a jean jacket. Like, don't think of it as evening jewelry. Yeah. Now, you uh, you recently opened an atelier. It's at the Blake House. So you've got it's, it's a heritage house on Jarvis Street. You've got is it the entire second floor? Yeah, so the, the, the building itself, it was built for Edward Blake, or the first Lieutenant Governor of Ontario. And uh, half of the, the house is 1891. The half we're sitting in here is 1897. And uh, it's a very historic building. Um, my workroom itself, that's just on the other side of this wall, was the famous uh, cartoonist Ben Wicks. It was his creative studio for 20 years, which is kind of cool. I always think great creative energy that, you know, and uh, so I took the entire second floor and it's given us obviously a bigger workspace when we're all working. And also we have the showroom that you saw where we were for the party. So um, it's always set up ready to receive guests now. And then on top of that, we're doing monthly events, co-events with other designers. Cause I, I really do believe in the cross pollination with other brands and also the Canadian 
fashion industry, I think, really needs to work together and support each other. And because I've been in this industry now for so many years, I've got so many great friends that I think are some of Canada's and Toronto's best designers. And so we're going to be doing these monthly events in the space with other designers. We've already done two. Uh, the last one a week ago was with uh, Whitney Lennon, who does beautiful linen product in Toronto. And Whitney's a good friend. Um, we have one coming up in June with Christopher Bates. And I think he is just, I, I do believe he is Canada's best menswear designer. I think he's an amazingly talented and, again, a really great friend. And uh, this is what I want to bring into this space. And we've now put together a calendar that goes right now, right through till Christmas, where we're bringing in other people. And then in the holiday season in December, we're going to be open for four days and we'll have about eight designers in here. So we're going to say, do all your Christmas shopping and shop Canadian. And I think that it's, it's again, it's a different experience for people. That's amazing. That's highly collaborative. And you've got some big names there. Uh, I, I know Whitney Westwood and uh, Christopher Bates. So oh, yeah. immediately. And, you know, we're, we're also, um, we've got uh, booked for the fall. We've got some really interesting ones. Um, we've got um, Aaron uh, is actually in Tokyo right now. And he has a line of beautiful jackets that are being made out of vintage kimonos. And so they're men's and women's. They're beautifully tailored and beautifully sewn by hand in Japan. So Izuku it, it, is, I can never say the word. I've got to learn to say the brand name. Uh, but he's coming in October. And in September, we're doing my fall launch here. And we're also doing a breast cancer initiative in early October here with Dino Dilio, who's a makeup artist. And uh, we're going to be donating 25% of the proceeds, proceeds for October, um, which will go directly to a Toronto breast cancer charity that we're just in the process of negotiating with. And um, then in December, it's going to be, like I say, that there's going to be a group of us here. I'm waiting to kind of confirm everybody, but there'll be Victory of the People, which is Nicoletta, who does beautiful diamond jewelry. There'll be Whitney's already confirmed. Um, and I want to fill the place with about eight designers and it'll be invite all your clients, invite your friends for four days. We'll be open and come out, have some holiday cheer and shop. And I think it's a really good opportunity. And a really fun, fun story too. No, it sounds like it's a lot of fun and it's creating uh, an event space, uh, which is highly experiential along with retail. Do you have a, um, any sort of, say, future plans five years out, what you might see for the atelier or for your brand? Yeah, yeah. In a few years time, I would love to. Um, there is somebody right now that occupies the third floor right above us, which is the same as uh, footprint as this floor. And eventually I want to take the third floor and move all the business and production and up and make this even more more retail space, but by appointment retail space. Um, and I'm working on a line of uh, handbags that'll be available sometime later on this year. We're working on the design process of that and the sourcing of the materials, but they're beautifully hand-sewn. Um, if there's a, a vintage chain on the handbag, it'll be like some of my necklaces that I make out of vintage chain. So I will build the chain itself for the handbag. And so they're going to be limited editions. There's not going to be a lot of each one. There'll be maybe five or six of each one, and that's it. For, a, again, a really bespoke product, so I'm working on that. 
And um, we're just, we've got a ton of shows across the country. I was just in Boston two weeks ago. I'm in Saskatoon this coming month. Um, Vancouver's in the fall. Scottsdale's in the fall. There's just a lot, a lot happening and fitting all the pieces together as well as doing the regular events here. Yeah. Now the bags, I'm guessing there might be some jewels involved, probably some uh, statin. Or I'm just visualizing already what you might have. I'm just guessing what they would look like. They're, they're going to be beautiful. They're very tailored, very elegant and sophisticated. And again, I like the idea that they're handmade in Toronto. You know, they're, they're made in Toronto. I think, you know, as a designer and as part of the fashion community, we really need to promote the fact that we have all this amazing talent here. And that you don't have to buy things made offshore in other countries. You can buy beautiful product that's made here in the city. And you've got a pretty good social network in terms of I went to the grand opening of your atelier a few weeks ago, and there were some pretty prominent people there. Well, I'm very lucky that the people that were at the opening party are also friends. Um, the one thing that happens in this business is the people that believe in what you're doing and where what you're doing become friends. And I think that's, I always say they become, they're all my brand ambassadors. And I think that's, that's the best way of looking at it. If you have somebody that believes in what you do and where is it out there, they will tell other people and that's how you grow exponentially. And that's what's happened. So everybody that was at that op the opening party here, I was thrilled to have here and people that have, you know, been a part of what I've been doing for years and wearing me in all sorts of different places. And I do a lot of custom work for some of those people. And that was really amazing to have that support at the opening. Oh, that's terrific. Now, uh, we recently had a royal coronation. I think you're a bit of an expert in uh, royal jewelry. <laughs> can you can you tell me a little bit more about that, please? Idiot savant, royal expert, you know. Well, you know, this is where it gets crazy in here because there's always tiaras. And, <laughs> you know, what better time to talk about a tiara than during the coronation? Um, it was great. I got up really early. Um, we... <laughs> We sort of set up our TV room the night before, so I pulled out my grandmother's silver and my mother's teacups, and we got up at four, and then we opened a bottle of bubbly. Um, it was an amazing historic event to witness. I mean, it literally, when you're watching something like that, you're you're watching history, and it's, I think it's important to watch all these milestones when things like this happen. Um, I was very blessed to have been in London last June for the Platinum Jubilee, and I actually witnessed it all from, I went with uh, some friends from Canada House, and I was at Royal Horse Guards for the Trooping of the Colour last year, and then watched the flyby of the planes that were going to Buckingham Palace from the roof of Canada House, and just, it was an amazing experience, and uh, so witnessing a coronation, um, it really is a momentous occasion, um, and things like you know, how they recycled things, being very conscious of costs, which is really kind of funny when you're talking about royalty and being cost conscious, but using Queen Mary's crown uh, for, the, for the Queen Consort Camilla to be crowned in, that was kind of amazing. Um, a couple of the Queen's own brooches that she used to wear, uh, Cullen and Four was a brooch that she used to wear that was like a heart shape and that was in the, it had been set into the front of the crown. And again, it's that, looking for pieces that are very, very recognizable and seeing them worn. And as a royal jewelry watcher, that's one of the things I love about what, you know, royal jewelry and following it is 
always being able to say, oh my God, there's Queen Mary's brooch. There's Queen Victoria's necklace. The necklace that, that Queen Camilla was crowned in is called the Coronation Necklace, and it was made in 1858 and has been worn by every queen or queen consort for their coronation since Queen Victoria and was made out of an assortment of diamonds that they pulled out of old badges and a sword hilt in 1858 for a huge amount of 65 pounds by Gerard, the royal jewelers. But you think 65 pounds in Victorian time is a lot of money. It's, it's so crazy to think about it. That, so again, I was watching for stuff like that and it was great to see. I wish they'd worn more tiaras. Um, they, there was a decision made to wear floral fabric headpieces instead, um, which I think was a nod to trying to be a little bit more modern and a bit more in touch. Um, but for jewelry watchers like me, I really wish they'd pulled out some big tiaras and more, but <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> Kate, Kate Middleton, did she wore something from Alexander McQueen? Was that diamonds or um, um, I wasn't watching that, quite as closely as you? Yeah, she, um, uh, the Princess of Wales was wearing uh, Alexander McQueen couture, including the headpiece. Um, but she did have on for the official photographs at Buckingham Palace afterwards, um, one of Queen Victoria's festoon necklaces, a three-strand diamond necklace, which was really nice to see. And she was wearing... Uh, a pair of uh, Diana, Princess of Wales earrings. So that was quite interesting. So that we saw that. Um, and, you know, you you saw the historic aspect with the, the orbs and the scepters and the crowns. And and I thought that was also interesting from all of us that, that watched the, her late majesty's state funeral, having seen the orb and the scepter and the imperial state crown. The last time we saw it was when they were moved from from Queen Elizabeth's casket. So seeing them used now at a coronation, I thought was just a nice continuum. Now the price point on this jewelry that that, that was in this royal coronation, I'm sure the answer is, is priceless, but priceless. It, the they problem. would probably it'd be millions, wouldn't it? If we were looking at like- um, I don't think you could have put a price on any of those heirlooms of the crown, um, because when you always think of when something is sold at auction with provenance, like. You know, when Elizabeth Taylor's jewelry was auctioned or the Duchess of Windsor's jewelry was auctioned, it always goes way above estimates because of the historical provenance. Um, you can't even put a value on some of this stuff. And, you know, rightly so. Like the, the, the other thing that people don't realize is the crown jewels themselves, the imperial crowns, the scepters, they're not owned by the royal family. Those are owned by the state. They're owned by the country. They belong to, to Great Britain um, and can, can never leave the United Kingdom. And where part of that came years ago into play was when Queen Mary and King George uh, in 1911 attended the Delhi Durbar in India. They couldn't take the state crowns or the state jewelry to India for the Delhi Durbar. So Queen Mary, being Queen Mary, who loved jewelry, had new jewelry made in order for them to travel with it. And so that's the thing I always stress is that the crown jewels that you see in the Tower of London are not owned by the royal family. Interesting. Whereas interesting. when you see the jewelry they wear necklace and earring wise and things like that, that is the property of the monarch. Um, and there's a huge collection of jewelry. It began during Queen Victoria's reign that were dedicated dedicated heirlooms of the crown and they're passed down from monarch to monarch. So this is why you'll see Things now like um, Queen Camilla 
has worn. Um, there's a Boucheron honeycomb tiara that was the Queen Mother's. She wears it quite frequently. And that was a big quest, a gift from, there was a famous socialite, this is price to go off track, but a famous socialite, Mrs. Greville, Margaret Greville, who was very wealthy. And uh, she amassed a huge jewelry collection in her lifetime. And when she was, she was quite good friends with the queen, who was the queen mother by then. And when she passed away, she left her jewelry collection to the queen mother. And uh, in, again, it's things like when Princess Beatrice got married, she wore an emerald and diamond bandeau tiara that was Mrs. Greville's. And it's the first time it had been seen in 60 years. And I always think there was, I would have loved to have been and seen when it happened. There was a massive metal trunk that was delivered to Clarence House when Mrs. Greville died and that was her jewelry collection. And I can't imagine when the Queen Mother and other people unpacked it, how they must have reacted when you're left a, a trunk full of real jewelry, <laughs> you know, like, and it's it's massive. The collection's massive and uh, it just added to the Royal Family's collection. And this is what Royal Watchers like myself, this is what we live for, these moments like a state dinner or a coronation when they pull this stuff out to wear it. Now you've got the crown. I, I don't know if what, what are the crowns says. What is it? The ruby of the black prince. Uh, uh, which uh, is the black the... prince's ruby, um, which would um, you've got Edward the Confessor's sapphire at the back, and the black prince's ruby, which is actually a spinel. A spinel is part of the ruby family. It's not actually a ruby. Oh. Um, a spinel is almost in the garnet family, but in medieval times, you find a red stone. It's a ruby, and I think the black prince's ruby is from about thirteen fifty seven. And then you also, in the Imperial State Crown, you have um, Cullinan II, which is the lesser, lesser star of Africa, which is 317 carats of diamonds. Um, they're little, they're, you see there's swinging pearls on the top near near the orb and the, and, and the cross on the top of the crown. And those were Elizabeth I's earrings. Oh. And like, so it's just really interesting that everything in it is really historically significant. Just like in the, in the Imperial Scepter, you saw the king holding with the rod and the scepter, um, the Cullinan, Cullinan one, the Star of Africa is in the top of that, which is a 560 carat pear-shaped diamond. So it, just the weight of that, I felt so sorry for him sitting there and that girl holding the jeweled sword that she's the head uh, head of the Privy Council. And uh, I was, I was looking at them thinking, oh my God, this stuff is so heavy. And you're sitting there <laughs> holding this stuff. That wouldn't have been fun. <laughs> Do they wear some reproductions when they're not uh, at uh, really, really formal events like a coronation? Uh, something that's I, made to I, look like it? I doubt it. I doubt it. I think everything you see them wearing is from the Royal Collection. Um, and, you know, the, the Queen always loved brooches and she amassed a huge brooch collection and we've never really fully seen it. And that was her private property. Um, now there are other people who mix costume and real. Um, Diana, Princess of Wales was notorious for mixing, you know, Wilson and Butler, very cheap costume jewelry with real or going down to the Kensington High Street and buying, you know, cheap gold medal earrings and wearing them to an event, which is great. And I know uh, Catherine, now the Duchess of, of, or Duchess of Cornwall, they're Prince and Princess of Wales now. Um, she just recently, I believe at the BAFTAs, she was wearing big earrings from Zara, which yeah. I thought was really good, you know? So again, it, it's having that, the fact that you have access to this stuff, but you're still gonna mix in costume. I think that's really great. Queen Alexandra was notorious for wearing fake pearls. 
She liked the effect of ropes and ropes and ropes of pearls. And there was a famous ball in, in, in the church sometime around 1900 where her pearls broke and they scattered all over a ballroom floor. And the society hostess at the time had somebody gather them all up. And she just stood and laughed because they were fake. <laughs> These are the sort of stories. This is why I'd make jewelry, Craig. Honestly, this is the sort of stuff that I love. And I read this stuff all the time for pleasure. And it just... It brings history to life when, with these sort of stories, you know? And it sounds like you found your passion, which I think is really important. Oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds crazy, but how can you not enjoy your day if you're working on a tiara? You know, like, I, <laughs> that's, you can't have a bad day when you're building a tiara. It's like, that's, that's the sort of point of what I do, as I always say, I'm making something beautiful in a beautiful space every day. And yeah, you, you, know, you have days where you're dealing with the business aspect and retailers and, you know, all sorts of things that can go haywire and deadlines, but you can't have a bad day when you're making and, and handling beautiful things. That's it. Thank you so much. This has been Alan Anderson of Alan Anderson Jewelry. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here today, Alan. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me be part of this. Be sure to check out his website or uh, make an appointment or, or come into the atelier uh, located on, uh, what, what's the address, Alan? We're 449 Jarvis Street, second floor, and it's by appointment, but you can get a hold of us on Instagram at, at Jewels by Allen or through our website, which is allenanderson.design. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us here today, Alan. Thank you. And I'm Craig Patterson. I'm the founder of Retail Insider. I'm also the publisher of Retail Insider Media and, of course, the host of the Retail Insider video interview series. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us here today. Take care and bye for now. Bye.